in the house of the Lord. How's everybody doing this morning? It is great to see all of your smiling faces. It is September 1st, 2013. It's Labor Day weekend, and the pumpkin spice latte is back at Starbucks. So you know what that means. The seasons are changing, and the seasons are changing, and that means that there are only 114 days until, anybody? Christmas. Time to start getting ready. Well, September also signals a time of homecoming. How many of you have participated in homecoming activities over over your life, whether it be for school or reunion or something? Here at the Croc Center, we have our September activities that we're getting ready to gear up for. The Wednesday Club youth programs are starting up again. Ohana groups are back in session. The community choir is back practicing. And our new fall program guide for the Croc Center is out. You should check that out. You know, on the mainland, it's that time of year where they're starting to pull out the warmer clothes because there's a little bit of a chill in the air, getting ready to, to bundle up and warm up. And also, it is football season. Any football fans out there? Is anybody? You, thanks for coming to church today. Did anybody, all the other football fans must be at home watching football. Anybody's, um, anybody watch the game on Thursday, UH, USC? Did your team win? Did, did your, team, your team didn't win? Yeah, that was, un, that was unfortunate. If, if only USC hadn't made all of those home runs, we'd be champion news today. But anyway, um, there is something special about this season and about the season of homecoming. And there are several types of homecoming celebrations that we participate in. There's, like I mentioned, the high school, the homecoming game, the dance that's associated with that game, and the spirit week activities that lead up to it. How about the soldiers that have been deployed and they come home after their time abroad? College students who come home for the holidays after maybe their first time being away from home at school. All of these homecoming activities that we enjoy. Unfortunately, there are some uh, homecoming activities that may be a little bit more somber and a time of remembrance. Just recently in my hometown of Prescott, Arizona, we witnessed 19 firefighters that came home this way. They were killed in the line of, di- of duty while fighting the Yarnell Hill fire. And there were several fires across the United States this summer that put people in harm's way. And I'm sure that those families and friends of those firefighters that do go out there and serve are so grateful when those people come home safely, as well as our soldiers as well, too. You know, our homecoming season, our homecoming celebrations in season and out of season, they look different and they feel different. Some are big, some are not so big, they may be a little bit smaller. Some, like this one, may evoke sadness and others, most of them, evoke extreme happiness and joy. You know, when we come home, we experience love and comfort and security And when there's special people that come home, there's usually a big feast and all of the favorite foods that you may have grown up with is there for you. 
Well, we're continuing our series in the parables of Jesus, and today we're going to talk about a homecoming celebration. We're going to be meeting in chapter 15 of Luke, and in this, in this chapter, Jesus continues to use stories to make his point, to clarify that message that he has to share, and to make it real for his listeners. And I love how he did that, because it just made it so plain so that people could grasp onto it and understand it better. Well, in Luke 15, there are three parables, and he uses these three illustrations to make his case. And he is making his case to the Pharisee and, Pharisees and scribes for the charges that they brought against him because of his association with tax collectors and other notorious sinners. They were even upset because Jesus would actually sit down and enjoy a meal with these tax collectors and notorious sinners. So in our first parable in the chapter, chapter 15 of Luke, we talk about the lost sheep, the sheep that's wandered away from the flock, and the sheep herder goes out and looks for that one sheep, leaving all of the other 99 or how many other sheep there. Some people may think it was pointless for him to leave them alone and go out and find that one sheep sheep but that sheep had value and because of that value it made his search for him worthwhile in the next parable is about the lost coin and it focuses on a bride who lost one of her 10 coins that she received for her wedding now you may be thinking 10 silver coins she lost one she still got nine so that's great right does it really matter if she's short 10 by just one well, it did matter because in addition to the monetary value, there was a sentimental value attached to that coin as well. There was value. And finally, we come to the parable of the prodigal son or the lost son. I think it's probably one of the most popular parables in the Bible. Mark Twain, who's another great storyteller, was once asked, who do you think is the best, the greatest storyteller there ever was and his response was jesus christ and when they further asked well what do you think is the best story that was ever told and he responded the prodigal son likewise charles dickens another great storyteller was asked what do you think is the greatest story in the english language and his response was the prodigal son I think that the prodigal son can be considered the crown jewel of Jesus' parables. There's a lot of meat in it, and there's even a barbecue inside there too, and a lot of love lessons that we can take away from that, from that uh, parable that he shares. I'm going to share that story with you this morning, and as I do, I would like for you to consider three points of view as we go through this story. And the points of view come from, number one, the father that's mentioned in the story. Number two, the younger son that's mentioned in the story. And number three, the older brother that's mentioned in the story. And as you listen to this story, I would ask you to, to ask yourself, do you identify with one of these characters in this story? Is one of these characters real to your life right now? Where are you at today? Do you identify with the younger brother? Do you identify with the older brother, or maybe you're one that identifies with the father. I want you to listen to this parable of the lost son that we find in Luke 15, 11 through 32. 
And I'm going to be sharing from the message version. I really like the way this one plays out, and it really brings a lot of life to the story. I don't have the words on the screen for you today. It is a long piece, but I would encourage you to just listen to what it says and remember to consider those points of view. Where do you fit in there? And this is Jesus speaking, again, to the Pharisees and to the scribes. Then he said, There was once a man who had two sons. The younger of the sons said to his father, Father, I want right now what's coming to me. So the father divided the property between them, and it wasn't long before the younger son packed his bags and left for a distant country. There in that distant country, undisciplined and dissipated, he wasted everything he had. And after he had gone through all of his money, spent it all up, there was a bad famine through all of the country, and he began to hurt. He signed on with a local citizen there who assigned him to his fields to slop his pigs. And he was so hungry that he would have eaten the corn cobs and the pig slop, but nobody would give him any. Well, you can imagine this brought him to his senses. He had essentially hit rock bottom. No money, nothing. And he began to think, and he said, all of those farm hands working for my father sit down to three meals a day, and here I am starving to death. So he thinks, I'm going to go back to my father, and I'm going to say to him, Father, I've sinned against God. I've sinned before you. I don't deserve to be called your son. Can you imagine that? I don't deserve to be called your son. Take me on as your hired hand. And he packed up, and he got up, and he started his journey to go home. Now I want you to think for a minute about the father His son has left. The father loves his son. And you can imagine that each day he probably wakes up wondering, will my son come back today? And he sits there and he waits and he looks out to see if his son comes home. Well, the story goes on to say that when he was still a long way off, this is the young son, his father saw him. And you imagine him sitting on the porch there and the feelings that he must have been going through when he saw his long-lost son. His heart was pounding, and he ran out to his son, and he embraced him, and he kissed him. And so the son started his speech. Father, I've sinned against God, and I've sinned against you. I don't deserve to be called your son ever again. But you know what? The father was not listening to his son He was calling out to the servants, and he said, quick, bring a clean set of clothes and dress him. Put the family ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Then get a grain-fed heifer and roast it. See, I told you there'd be a barbecue in this story. We are going to have a feast. This is a happy time. We're going to have a wonderful time. My son is here, given up for dead and now alive given up for lost and now found, and they began to have a wonderful time. At this point in the story, the older brother was out in the field still working, and when the day's work was done, he came in, and as he approached the house, he could hear the music and the dancing. So he called over one of the houseboys, and he asked, what's going on? 
that houseboy told him, your brother came home. Your father has ordered a feast, barbecue beef, because he has him home safe and sound. Well, with this news, the brother stalked off and he was angry and he started sulking and he refused to join into the celebration. His father came out and tried to talk to him, but he still wouldn't listen. And then finally the son replied to the father, look how many years I have stayed here serving you, never giving you one moment of grief, but have you ever thrown a party for me and my friends? Then this son of yours who's thrown away all of your money on whores shows up and you go all out for him with a feast. His father's response to this was, son, you don't understand. You are with me all the time. And everything that is mine is yours. But this is a wonderful time. We had to celebrate the brother of yours was dead, and he's alive. He was lost, and now he's found. That's a great story, isn't it? I think that that story of the prodigal son would play out very well on a nice stage like this, in three acts. Act one, a departure. Act two, a return. Act three, a celebration with a plot twist. We find in this story the characters revealing themselves and their hearts through their actions. It would be the perfect script for a show, full of drama, full of excitement, conflict, and plot twists. As the curtains open to reveal the stage, it focuses on the younger son and sets up the premise of the story. And it focuses on his greed and his selfishness and his inability to be thankful for what he had. He just wanted to take his inheritance before his father was even dead and run with it. His inability to be thankful for what he had was a result of his greed and his selfishness. You know, the definition of prodigal means to be exceedingly or recklessly wasteful. And the youngest son, as we saw in the story, demonstrates this through his actions. And it represents a rebellion and a desire to live and do as he pleased, not as God is pleased. But we saw where that got him, right? We saw where it got him into a mess. How many times in our own personal lives have we found ourselves in a mess because of the decisions that we've made, because we were too selfish, because we wanted to do things our own way. We wanted to do things in our own time and by our own will. We've all been there. The youngest son, unfortunately, had to hit rock bottom. And sometimes in our lives, we have to hit rock bottom as well. The, the youngest son hit rock bottom so hard that we found him so desperate that he would stoop to the level of wanting to eat pig slop because he was so hungry. And it was at this point that he realized that his life back at the ranch, it wasn't so bad. His father 
father's hired servants were fed three meals a day. Servants living better than this youngest son. His father loved him, and he gave up all of that to chase a selfish desire. See, the youngest son in his rebellion begged the father for forgiveness for that rebellion and for the sins against God. He stated, I don't deserve to be called your son. And in that statement, we see the son's true remorse. But we also see a father's unconditional love as he stretched his arms out and welcomed him home. Now, as the lights dim down and they come back up to reveal the second act of our play, we're now focusing on the father and the response that he had to his son coming home. As parents and as aunties, uncles, grandparents, we know that no matter what our children do, we love them. Is that true? It's true. We love them no matter what they, and they can do, you know, they can, they can do some bad stuff sometime, but we still love them. Well, the father in this story demonstrates that unconditional love. And it's the same love that we experience from our Heavenly Father. No matter what we've done, He is there waiting for us to return. Isn't, isn't that amazing? The Father in this story demonstrates the qualities of grace and of compassion and love. And it's unconditional. Verse 20 explains the reunion. And you just remember the father sitting there on the porch waiting for his son to come home. And then when he finally sees him, when he was still a long way off, his father saw him, his heart was pounding. He ran out and he embraced and kissed him. His son had come home. That father rejoiced when his son came home. Think about times when you've welcomed family home after being separated by miles or by time. It's, a, it's an exciting feeling. They're coming home. They're going to be in our presence. Imagine how God feels when we come home to him. Imagine how he rejoices when we realize that he was the answer all along to the messes that we've gotten ourselves into, and he's just there waiting with that outstretched hand, waiting to pick us up out of that mess. God loves us so much. And that love is one thing in our lives that is consistent. It's patient. And it's overwhelmingly welcoming. He seeks us. He calls us. And he waits for us to return home whenever we stray. Sometimes he has to wait patiently for some of us to come to our senses, but he waits. And when we're ready, he's there. Like that lost sheep or that lost coin or a lost son or it could be a daughter, God values us. And he wants us to come home and enjoy his fellowship and eternal celebration. And when we do, all of heaven rejoices with us and it's a big party 
And I hope there's a barbecue there. Because that would be great, right? So as the, as the lights fade down on this tender moment between the father accepting his son back into the house, the curtains may open again to reveal the setup for Act 3. And this is where we focus on the older brother. But as the lights come up, it reveals a big, colorful party scene on the stage. We have a party, and we have a plot twist. The father ordered a big feast to celebrate the younger brother's homecoming. Quick, bring a set of clean clothes and dress my son. Put the family ring on his finger and put sandals on his feet. Then get a grain-fed heifer and roast it. We are going to have a feast. Why? Because my son is here. He was given up for dead, and now he's alive. Given up for lost, and now found. So just when we think that this big party scene is going to take place, and that the party's going to continue, and everybody's going to be happy, we have a party pooper. And this would be the older brother. He enters the scene, and he's not too pleased with what he sees. And here's the plot twist. In all of the celebrations that are taking place to welcome this young son home, one of our characters is not buying it. One of our characters feels betrayed. He feels like he's better than his brother. He didn't betray the family. He's self-righteous, and he's jealous of what's taking place. You know, although the brother had been a hard worker and had been faithful to the family, in his mind, this celebration was unmerited. Here's where we see that the older brother is no worse than the younger brother. The older brother, in his refusal to forgive his brother, rendered himself just as lost to the father's love as his younger brother had been. In his refusal to, for, to forgive his brother, he rendered himself just as lost. Sometimes, and I'm preaching to the choir here, forgiveness is one of the most difficult things that we need to do. Notice that I said need, not should, or maybe do but need to do. Because in forgiveness, we experience a freedom and a joy that's hard to explain. But when we refuse to forgive, we are missing out on that opportunity to experience that abundant joy. And we're not able to share it with others, unfortunately. And we are no better than that son who wasted his inheritance on worldly desires and activities until he hit bottom. So the older brother in this performance, in his refusal to forgive, represents for us the Pharisees who scoffed and resented Jesus for speaking and eating with sinners. And sometimes in the church that can happen too. But we cannot let that happen because we need to be a place for sinners. Sinners need to be able to come to church. The church needs to be a homecoming celebration conduit. 
So I ask you again today, which character in this story do you identify with? Perhaps you're the youngest son that's wandered away. Perhaps you are the father who is full of love unconditionally. Or perhaps you're the brother who refused to forgive. You know, I think that if we look closely at ourselves, we will probably find that we embody a little of all three. We face daily prodigal struggles. We want more than we have. We want to do things our own way. We don't want anybody to tell us how to do it. We live in a world that is very attractive and that pulls us away from home. We love some, and then we refuse to forgive others. The thing is, is that with Christ, homecoming is not a seasonal event. He beckons us to come home daily. We may wander just down the sidewalk a little bit, or we may wander far away like that young son did. But our homecoming season needs to be daily. And the reason for that is because we are human. We make mistakes. We wander. I recently read a blog by somebody by the name of Jill Carantini. And I wanted to share the last paragraph with you. In the parable of the prodigal son, Jesus invites a distracted world to slow down. Wherever you are in your faith or absence of faith, to taste and see, and to be still and to be present. In this culture of absence, the Father is near, waiting, though we put him off, keeping vigil over wandering lives and attention spans, and running in grace towards those who even half-heartedly attempt to be present. He welcomes us as the father of the lost son did in our parable with open arms. In Luke 15, we learn the following. A sheep got lost because it foolishly wandered away from the flock. A coin was lost by no fault of its own. And a son was lost because of his selfishness. Through these three parables, Jesus was able to teach the Pharisees and the scribes important lessons about love, repentance, and forgiveness. But in doing so, he also ministered to the hearts of those tax collectors and sinners who also listened to Jesus speak. They learned that they too can be accepted by God. They learned that they too are sought by God and willingly received in their repentance. God's love reaches out no matter where we are, how far we get lost or where we get lost because he places a high value on all of us. He yearns for our homecoming and he rejoices when we do. As we close today, I want to pose a question to you. Is there an area in your life where you need to come home? Is there an area where you have drifted just down the sidewalk 
or, if, or is there an area where you have drifted afar? Perhaps you need a homecoming in your marriages or in broken relationships. Perhaps you need a homecoming in your daily relationship with Christ. Perhaps just in your faith, you need a homecoming celebration when life seems to just whack you around. And the hard one, are there areas in your life where you need to have a homecoming celebration because you need to forgive somebody? Perhaps you've never had a homecoming celebration to begin with. And I want to challenge you today that before you walk through those doors and leave into this world, that you have an opportunity to have that homecoming celebration. We want to celebrate that with you because it's a great thing. We don't have the barbecue today, but we have the celebration, and that's in our hearts, and it's in heaven. I would invite everybody to just bow your heads and close your eyes. I'd like to pray with you this morning.